0: That's where I'm so excited about what's happening next week, or actually in about ten days, um, at at the Life Church, we'll be hosting a disaster response roundtable where we will talk about how do you leverage a crisis event in your church? How does your church leverage the crisis event in your neighborhood, in your community, in order to see the gospel actually expand and and be presented in a way that
1: people will receive it. 17,000 people have been killed and tens of thousands injured after a magnitude 7.8 earthquake struck Turkey and Syria on Monday. Teams are racing to rescue survivors as aid agencies warn that New snowfall, as well as a lack of water, communications, and power could cause a deadly secondary disaster. September of 2022, Hurricane Ian is reported as the third costliest weather disaster on record and the deadliest hurricane to strike the state of Florida since the 1935 Labor Day hurricane. And who can forget Hurricane Katrina back in August of 2005 that became a large and extremely powerful hurricane that caused enormous destruction and significant loss of life? Back in December of 2021, in Kentucky, officials said there were at least 70 deaths where many had been trapped inside a flattened candle factory. And there were six fatalities in a roof collapse at an Amazon warehouse in Illinois after severe weather ravaged the county there. National Weather Service office here in Memphis rated the 2022 tornado in Jonesboro, Arkansas, as an EF3 with an estimated maximum winds of 140 miles an hour. Why are we opening today's Mid-South Viewpoint with such devastating disaster news. Well, we're trying to set the stage for our show concerning a disaster response roundtable that's on the calendar here in Memphis on February 21st and 22nd. And to tell us all about it is Dr. Joe Carson. He's here. Joe is the Central Outreach Director at the Life Church and has all the details. Joe, it is so good to see you, man. I've been wanting to get you in the studio, not to talk about disasters, but just to catch up on the Dream Center and just how you and Kelly are doing, how the ministry is going. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, it's actually a pleasure to be here. It's been a little while.
0: Um, I think the last time we were on, Kelly and I were with you together. Yes. And so, um,
1: we've done ministry together for
0: 14 years now.
1: What, now were we talking that time when I think you were just saying, hey, this is what the Dream Center is hoping to do? I mean, I don't think you actually opened the doors yet. You were about to open the doors. I think you're right.
0: I think uh, as far as a permanent location for sure, and uh, now we have two two locations. Uh, each location does something uh, a little bit different to meet the needs of our community, and. Uh, again, just yep. an honor to be able to um, to meet some of our neighbors that uh, sometimes otherwise we wouldn't meet yep. and and to be able just to walk alongside families. It's been it's been a blessing.
1: Well, now let's clarify the Dream Center. This is not a place where people go sleep or have sleep studies done. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so
0: we're modeled after uh, a Dream Center that began. The very first one was in Los Angeles. Um, so about 20, I think, 21 years this year, Uh that started, they, they house 700, over 700 people uh, between homeless veterans to uh, those aging out of foster care. Incredible organization. Um, we're modeled after them, connected relationally um, in a sense. And um, our heart was to see, can we do that in our neighborhood? And what are the needs of our community? And um, so rather than duplicating what they do, uh, we just began the process of a, a little bit of research, uh, a lot of question asking mm-hmm. um, from those in the city who actually were experiencing challenges. And so um, so years ago, we were able to do that. Food insecurity is one of those issues that continues to come up even today, um, even though we have been active in um in, in providing food resources for goodness over 12 years now um regularly um that still is an issue in our city um as as are many things that come with Either economic challenges or generational poverty um, that just create obstacles for families, and we just believe in trying to trying to trying to provide opportunity yeah. that's equitable, so that every family has an opportunity to to move forward.
1: Wow! At fourteen years, I'm sure you have seen God just do incredible work in the hearts of the people in our area. Are there some unique needs that you've discovered? from the people in our community?
0: Yeah, actually, that's kind of what's driven uh, the growth of the Dream Center. We've allowed uh, the relationships to drive the next ministry opportunity. So rather than saying we want to do these three things, we've said, okay, what are the people that were meeting their needs now? And in particular, we began with food insecurity. Um we're meeting the needs of food insecurity now with this particular group of people. What other needs do you have? Uh, what other gaps are there in resources that y- that have been made available to you? And so we recognize as uh, as most of our food insecurity resources are going through, channeled through Shelby County Schools, we recognized, again, that our education inequity exists Um My my kids grew up in Cogerville. Cogerville schools have a whole lot more resource per student um, than many of our schools in our city, um, in particular in underserved areas. And so, so how do we come alongside the school system? And so we began sending tutors. um, You know, uh, we we began sending people to help with literacy, in particular and then out of that grew our read to lead program which is our after school program we now have two locations for that and almost 200 kids wow. um coming uh, every day of the week and so just again even with that we thought we would be all about literacy and what we recognize is the students can learn to read pretty quickly but what they don't have is opportunity and so um so we provide things like ballet and robotics and uh we have a chef that comes in and teaches our kids how to prepare meals because many of them are often because they're often their parents uh, are working multiple jobs and so the children are fending for themselves and, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but just they're 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 feeding their brothers and sisters. And so can we equip a child that's ten or eleven years old? To be able to 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 be able to make a meal for their family, yep. and so it's wow. and so just things like that 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 we're recognizing um, many of us have access to, and many of us don't, and so so we've wrapped around services. Um, that, that have met
1: the needs of those that we are serving on a regular basis. Joe, that is so beautiful. It's wonderful to see the body of Christ show the compassion and the love of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. back to our community and really to, uh, to be the gospel witness. You know, it's been said, they're not going to care what you know Do they know that you care. And that's just part of the package of us following Christ. As we talk about disasters and preparing for disasters as well as you can, from 1950 to 1993, 613 tornadoes were reported in the Memphis area, with an average of 14 occurring each year. These tornadoes killed 227 people, or about five each year. Tornadoes occurred during each of the 44 years, during every month of the year, and at all hours of the day we can remember back on July 22nd, 2003, a progressive derecho with straight line winds more than 100 miles an hour that struck Crittenden, and DeSoto, Fayette and Shelby counties, including our, our city here in Memphis, I think. That, was that Hurricane That was Hurricane, was Hurricane Elvis. That sure was Hurricane Elvis. I remember driving to work that day and signal lights were being ripped off the lines. Yeah. And I tried to find safety at the Baptist Hospital East parking garage <laughs> while it was wow. happening. Also, city of Memphis is on the southern fringes of the New Magic Fault Line. Our area experiences over 400 earthquakes every year. And many of these are too small to be felt, but they're, they're happening, that's a reality. And it's always a possibility for more intense type earthquakes to happen. Well, we're actually due for
0: another one. And what's interesting is we're actually overdue for one that's gonna be a larger scale one. Um, and what we're seeing in Turkey Syria this week, um, I don't know that it will be that extensive, but we have to remember that Real Foot Lake happened because the Mississippi River flowed backwards for three days the yep. last time we had a major earthquake here. Yep. So what could happen here in
1: Memphis is pretty significant. We were missionaries on the island of Guam back in the late 1990s, which is part of the Ring of Fire earthquake zone, which is part of Japan buildings have to go under strict code there on the island in that area when, when they're built. And I remember having like a, an 8.2 while we were there. Now, wow. if we had an 8.2 in Memphis right now, I can't imagine Mm. the destruction. Now, the the difference is earthquakes in that region are very deep. Mm -hmm. If Guam was actually on a mountain, it would be the largest mountain in the world because it is just six miles away from the Mariana's Trench, which those earthquakes happen really, really deep. However, earthquakes that happen here are usually more surface Mm -hmm. and they roll and buildings aren't designed, you know, here like they need to be. And I don't know if a building even could be designed to withstand an 8-3, you know, in our community.
0: Yeah, that's significant. I you know what happened in uh turkey this week was uh 7.8 i believe yes. and yep. so um yeah i mean so an 8 2 and 8 3 would be almost 100 times greater yeah. as far as in power um than what happened in turkey this week and we've already seen over 17,000 people oh. that are confirmed dead um and that's I think we're still a long way from knowing what that final number is. And so, again, I would I, I would, um, you know, encourage our our listeners to to be prayerful, be prayerful for those that might still be trapped and still alive, that they can have hope and that that the teams that are going in can actually reach them yeah. um, in time. Because, again, we're not just fighting what collapsed on them, but we're fighting the weather conditions um, that are making it much more difficult to to stay alive.
1: I think Samaritan's Purse is mobilizing right now, sending uh, medical teams and field hospitals yeah. there to help take care of those needs. And it, you're right, this is a time for us to pray. I know we have friends in the area that are, are serving the Lord, so I'm really praying also for them and, and the, the opportunity that this presents for the gospel of Christ. And I think that's I think that's the thing that um, that
0: really um, fuels me in the in the world of disaster response. It is the opportunity that presents itself. Many people won't come to know the Lord unless a crisis event happens in their life. Yeah. Um, when that happens, we're drawn inward and. Each of us were born with this God-shaped hole that that only God can fill. And so when we're drawn inward, we often will find that and we will begin asking the questions that will lead us to Christ. And that's where that's where I'm so excited about what's happening next week, or actually in about 10 days. Um, at, at the Life Church, we'll be hosting a disaster response roundtable where we will talk about how do you leverage a crisis event in your church, how does your church leverage the crisis event in your neighborhood, in your community, in order to see the gospel actually expand and and be presented in a way that
1: people will receive it? Well, and Joe, you have so many responsibilities. You and Kelly, as you serve as outreach ministers through Life Church and all that you do in the community through the Dream Center and. And other ministries that we haven't even talked about, but whose idea was this to create this round table, Trying churches. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> We're still trying to figure that out.
0: I think. Um, so um, anytime something happens, I'm 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 really blessed and fortunate to have pastors like I do. John and Leslie Siebling are amazing and compassionate people. And so um, so when 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 an event will happen, um, I would get a call. Hey, Joe. Who are we working with? When are you leaving? Uh, what church do we support? Where are we sending volunteers? How much is it going to cost? You know, those questions that a, a lead pastor often ask, well, I, I would go, well, it's in North Carolina. I don't know anybody in North Carolina, so how do I, how do, I do that? Well, I would continue to show up, and, and there was this one guy from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham that kept showing up as well. And we just happened to run into each other Two or three times in a row and i finally asked i said dennis i said why do we why do we do this separate why don't we just begin to communicate with one another like who are you working with and where are you going and how do we house volunteers what equipment do we need to bring with us what supplies are needed in this moment and so we began just asking each other those questions Well, then we realized that there are some incredible organizations. You mentioned Samaritan's Purse earlier that are already there. They have resources, but you know what they need? They need volunteers. And so it's like, why don't we connect the church to the resources that are available in the body of Christ and empower the local church on the ground to become the hero of their own community? So rather than a church... Calling Samaritan's Purse and saying, can you come help my neighborhood and the church that's there to kind of abdicate their, their positional, their influential position in the community and giving it away to a national organization. The national organization is going to do a great job because that's who they are. But when they leave, they leave and the community doesn't remember that the local church is the yes. place that they can find hope, that they can find help. And so when we come in, our goal is to empower that local church, connect them to the resource that's huge. We just saw this this happen in Selma, Alabama, just a couple of weeks ago with the tornadoes. I got a call and uh, from Dennis and Dennis said, hey, we're struggling um, a large percentage of the, the families that have been, have been victims of or, or survivors is probably a better way to put that. Survivors of the um, of the tornadoes live in low-income areas. Most of them are African American and they're, we're trying to get in and they're not, they're not receiving the help because they don't, there's a trust barrier. And they said, Joe, can you help? And so I drove to Selma. And I made a connection, Uh, very, very fortunate to have some friends there. Um, Actually, from here, I called our Chamber of Commerce. I called Bobby White at the Chamber of Commerce. I said, I said, Bobby, who do we know? And so, and he sent me a couple of names, immediately made contact, found a pastor who trusted me because of the relationship I have with Bobby. And I said, there is a, the body of Christ is here. The resources are here. You don't have to wait on FEMA or the government to tell you how little they're going to give you. Yeah, The church is here and we wanna come in and tarp your roof and rebuild your home and take the trees off of your car. And it can happen. It's just a matter of you allowing us access. Yes. So within a couple of days, we had 26 pastors sitting around a breakfast table and Samaritan's Purse was there. Eight Days of Hope was there. Convoy of Hope was there. Uh, The Baptist disaster response teams were there. And we were able to say, we're here. We're right here. Will you let us come help your people? And it was beautiful to see because all of a sudden, literally within hours, there there were people from around the country in the backyards of these families, cutting trees and and tarping their roof and getting them the help that they needed, but they were hesitant to get because simply they didn't know who to turn to. And my goal was, let's make the pastor the local pastor, the one in the neighborhood, yes. that the roof of his church building was removed. Let's make him the hero. Let's make him the focal point. Let's make sure that that church, that their neighbors know that this is where I can come when I need emotional, mental, spiritual help. Um, It's right here at this
1: local church. Joe, while I mentioned while we were missionaries on the island of Guam, there was a couple of disasters that that took place. One, of course, being susceptible to typhoons, Mm -hmm. you know, like hurricanes would be here, but typhoons. One was a super typhoon, Paca, that was 198 mile an hour sustained winds. It took nine hours to pass the island. The wind gusts were over 225 when the wind gusts broke the gauges at the Air Force Base, Mm -hmm. you know. So we were inside our house (laughs) It was an incredible thing of God's mercy and protection. God carried us through that, but the aftermath, and, and and the storm ripped off the roof of our church, flooded the church, but there was disaster relief. People who came from the U.S., other church connections, and they came out, and they repaired the roof. They repaired the, the pews there inside the church. And there was another disaster that's just so heartbreaking. There was a Korean airline, 801, mm-hmm. over 254 passengers in a plane that crashed within a mile from the radio station that I was serving in. Most of those people died in that crash. But our little church with about 90 people, we volunteered with the Salvation Army. We joined arms with them who had relations with the military because Mm -hmm. the plane crashed on military property. It was horrible. As you can imagine, body bags Mm -hmm. coming up off the grounds Mm -hmm. being stacked. We were just trying to provide help for the relief workers. Mm. Here's a turkey sandwich. Here's some cold water. Here's a place to get out of the hot sun just to refresh. And I remember we talked to some of the commanders about bringing their men over and they said, they don't need that. All they need is a six pack of beer when they go home. And you and I know that the heart Especially when you deal with disaster, you see people, tragedy, you see body parts everywhere. Yeah. You need more than a six pack of beer. Yeah, and so God allowed us to, as a small little church, to minister on Nimitz Hill and serve the military community. It was powerful. God used that in so many ways. He, he used our pastor and uh, mm. a Korean church member who were able to go to the hotel and wow. comfort family members who were grieving. It really is a time for the church to engage. It's why we're here, yeah. right? It's yeah. to be the body of Christ. And can I say this too, Joe? We were a church of ninety people. Some people mm-hmm. might say, "Well, the Light Church or, or Bellevue Baptist; those are big churches. They can do this disaster relief and provide that." But it doesn't matter the church size, does it? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact,
0: to be honest, in this disaster, in this disaster arena, we're not we're not really equipped. I mean, I don't have uh, our church doesn't have big equipment. We don't have a lot of guys who know how to run chainsaws and and uh, have tree experience. Um, but we have a lot of people with good hearts. And so often we go unskilled and we connect um, with an eight days of hope and help them rebuild, you know, 40 houses in eight days. Um, our, our, our heart is to be there, to be the hands and feet. Um, I mean, there have been times where we've, uh, like Hurricane Katrina, um, and again, this was before I was a part of Life Church, so um, I, I take no credit for this. But we shut down church the Sunday after, and loaded two semis full of supplies and drove them to New Orleans. Um, our church has always been a church that says we're here. What rather than what can I do? I yeah. mean, I, I what can I do? Yeah, we ask what can I do. Yes, and so I I believe that every church can do something.
1: And so that's, uh, that's our heart. We are, like I said, the body of Christ. You reminded me of a story here in Memphis. There was a church, the pastor said, listen, if you're here today, and this was the aftermath of Katrina, because a lot of those evacuees were in our area. They were being cared for that's in true. evacuee centers in, in the Memphis area. So this pastor said, now, if you're here today and your shoes are fairly new, I'd like for you to take them off and leave them at the door. Beautiful. There were hundreds and hundreds of pairs of shoes that were left to give to the survivors that were here, you know? Incredible. Just little small ways. I remember there was a lady that we tried to help that was here. Her husband had a lot of health issues, and they were going to put them on cots in the gymnasium at one of the relief centers. And he had all kinds of health issues. He said, my husband will not be able to sleep well rest well on a cot. I had a friend of mine that owned a furniture store. And she delivered a nice bed at Box Springs through the relief center just for this man who had these issues. Amazing. And again, this is an opportunity when you have these times happen to just be compassionate, be loving, right? Right. It is. And again, it
0: doesn't take a major plan. It doesn't take a lot of various skill sets. It just takes a heart that's willing to look past the uncomfortable. And I think, um, I think one of the challenges – that we have in America is we really like to be comfortable. And when something happens, especially if it's not close or I don't have any family member that's directly affected. Wow. You mean I've got to take a week of my vacation time to go and help tear some wet walls out of somebody's house that got flooded? Well, you know, you don't have to, but what an opportunity. What an opportunity to to do exactly what Jesus did—just simply met the needs. And I think that's our example.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Jesus heard blind Bartimaeus when he was not looking for blind Bartimaeus, but he heard him. He turned to him and he walked over to him, and that's the heartbeat of what we should be as the church. We should be able to see, and when we see it, turn that way, move that direction. And go sit with that person. And what I loved is Jesus, what Jesus did with blind Bartimaeus was he asked him, what do you want me to do? Instead of just assuming. He didn't come with food. He didn't come with money. He didn't just immediately heal him. He asked,
1: so what do you want me to do for you? And we as the church can do that. We've got a two-day event for this roundtable forum. What are the requirements? How do you register? What's going to take place during these two days? Great. You can actually go to
0: servesource.org, S-E-R-V-E, source, dot org, and register. Um, it is free. There's no charge. Um, we have partners who are actually um, going to be feeding us. Mercy Chefs is an organization that we work with uh, in disasters. <clears throat> they will be feeding us on Tuesday. And then we have a local caterer here in town that's going to be feeding us on Wednesday. So we'll have lunch on both days and dinner on Tuesday night provided. So there's no charge. It is uh, it is open to anyone who is a church leader, um, whether you are on staff or not on staff, with a heart for missions or outreach, because we will be talking about more than just disasters. Most of our focus is how does the church prepare for and respond to a crisis event? So that could be a house fire. That could be um, someone who just lost family members. And so we're going to be talking about crisis care we're going to be talking about outreach in particular. How do you begin to mobilize volunteers so that they are ready when a crisis event
1: happens and you have a pool of people from which to from which to pull volunteers? Constantly, something happening in our community where the church can step in and show the love of Christ.
0: Yeah, I think about what happened just a few weeks ago um, here in Memphis um, with the Nichols family and what they've had to go through. But what they had to go through was really felt community wide. Yeah. And is the church? Are we prepared to even minister to the crisis event that happens um, emotionally, mentally, when something? Wow! Again, it happened again. Yeah. And how do how do family members respond? How do our how do our form our fellow pastors and churches in different communities? How do they respond? How do what do they feel? And how can we best come alongside them? And so just even being prepared for that emotional and spiritual battle that are being fought and waged, we want to be able to do that as a church. And so so this Disaster Response Roundtable involves
1: so much more than just pulling a chainsaw out and cutting a tree down. Dr. Joe Carson, God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you for what you are allowing Christ to do in and through you and your dear wife Kelly, through the Ministry of the Life Church outreach to our community and really around the world as you minister in Christ's name. Thanks for stopping by and and really again thanks on a last minute notice. That I didn't have much time to give you. But you're so gracious to stop by and share about this. Again, friend, this Disaster Relief Roundtable, February 21st and 22nd. It will be at the Life Church, right? It will be at the Life Church at our Houston Levy location. And you can go register. There's no cost. Lunch will be provided at servesource.org, servesource.org, and register. And please do that soon and participate God bless you, Joe. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. (laughs) Thanks, Byron. Appreciate you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.